welcome to this week's episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and this is the show where we talk about how everything in Montpelier shakes out for the rest of us. I want to welcome to today's show regular contributor and representative from Brattleboro, Emily Kornheiser. Hey there, Emily. Hi, Olga. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. You're looking very summery in this first week of August. In I am spot. trying. <laughs> despite the weather, I'm doing my best to appreciate summer. And despite the rain. Yes. Well, I think that brings us, you know, August, nearing the end of summer and mm-hmm. getting ready for the autumn and getting ready for school to begin and all those transition things uh, brings me to today's episode because I have been thinking a lot about transitions and all the things that they mean um, and inheritance and what we inherit from from our ancestors and what we bring forward into the world as the ancestors that we are becoming, which brought me to modern Vermont and thinking about our ancestors, our political ancestors and what we have basically passively inherited from them, whether we grew up in Vermont or we moved to Vermont, you know, we showed up and Vermont is here with the roads and the government and the telephone Mm -hmm. wires and everything. And meanwhile, we are also actively creating the future and future Vermont. So we're, we are ourselves always in this transition place between the past and the future. And so I, I thought for the rest of August during this transition month into the, into autumn, we should hear from some of our political ancestors and just touch base and see what they were thinking at their time. And as we go forward over the, the rest of August, I've chosen some inaugural speeches from different governors across Vermont's history. And I tried to choose something that they themselves looked like they were in a transitional historical time. So for example, one of the speeches we might read is from during the time of the Civil War, but it's not the first Mm -hmm. year or the last year of the Civil War. I'm choosing something from kind of in the middle or, you know, right after the flood of 1927, but before the crash of Mm -hmm. the Great Depression. So again, trying to choose speeches that are in a transition time uh, and and see what people were thinking about. Olga, I love that so much. You know, on Monday at the e-board meeting, um, Tom Cavetter, state economist, was talking about sort of a history of the economy and flood responses. And he started talking about a flood in the 1800s. And I was like, what are we doing here? This is like both incredible and absurd, right? That every, you know, and I'm doing that, listening to him sitting on the original state house chairs covered in velvet, you know, in the governor's ceremonial office. And I know that through the pandemic, we talked a lot about how sort of extra aware we were that we were living through history and creating history, but you know, in the happy hour, one of our sort of founding mottos is that we're like sort of digging into the story behind the story. And I think there's nothing more powerful than really going back and hearing how people were telling those stories that we're still living with today. So I really appreciate you coming up with this August scheme for us. Oh, well, thank you. I hope our listeners enjoy it. 
So without further ado, let's uh, jump in. The Secretary of State's office has actually has a whole page devoted to inaugural and farewell speeches from across. Really? France. Yeah, it is. It's so cool. You can click on by year. Um, the way we think of um, inaugural speeches is not how it's always been done. And so some years are kind of missing because maybe a governor didn't do one. Um, farewell speeches didn't really become a thing until later in history. Um, but it's still uh, an interesting little treasure trove. So Emily and I are going to start with Vermont's first governor, Thomas Chittenton. That name might sound familiar. For those mm. who don't know, however, he was originally born in Connecticut and moved to Williston during the time when the United States was not the United States, but a colony. And he moved to Vermont and did his own settlement colonization thing when we were still being disputed about were we Vermont, were we New York, were we New Hampshire during the whole land grant um, period of time before the American Revolution. American Revolution breaks out. He is one of several people of who you will probably recognize some names as we go forward in the, these readings who were like, well, again, who is Vermont? Are we New York? Are we New Hampshire? Are we Canada? You know, are we some <laughs> part of Britain? Um, or are we our own identity? So as folks probably know, uh, in 1777, Vermont decided it was its own republic, or these political leaders did anyways. And Thomas Chittenton was one of, I believe, eight people who was part of what was called the Council of Safety, which formed as the the initial interim government of the Republic of Vermont to get the state up and running, to found the government, to elect officials, to get the General Assembly put together. And um, they uh, worked with the Continental Congress saying, we are our own land. We don't belong to New York. We don't belong to New Hampshire. We are our own state. For whatever reason... New York was still contesting that. So in March 3rd, which I'm thinking might be the first Tuesday in March, 1778, uh, this Council of Safety held elections to put together the Ver Vermont's first General Assembly, which convened for the first time in 1778. So without further ado, Emily, we'd love yes. to hear Thomas Chittenden's inaugural address. So this is the executive speech of Thomas Chittenden as it appears in the records of the governor and council of the state of Vermont, 1779. This was on October 14th. Gentlemen of the council and, as and assembly, the honor conferred on me by the free men of the state in appointing me their chief magistrate demands a return of my warmest thanks. At the same time, I regret my inabilities to support the character of so important a station. Notwithstanding, as my appointment appears so unanimous, it affords me the highest satisfaction, is to me a confirmation of their general approbation of my former conduct. Therefore, I shall consider it my duty to serve the ensuing year, and by divine assistance shall labor to continue an equal steady firmness and impartial administration of justice, which has hitherto governed my conduct, relying on the candor and assistance of my counsel and the legislature for my support. Gentlemen, 
The legislature having constitutionally met, I cannot forbear expressing to you my highest satisfaction in the many great and important advantages arising from the due execution and careful administration of the laws since they took place and cannot but rejoice when I reflect on the infinite difference between a state of anarchy and that of a well-regulated government, the latter of which we daily experience. And I most earnestly recommend to all magistrates and others in authority under me, together with the freemen over whom I have the honor to preside, to persevere and let their conduct be uniformly met, just and upright, and encourage one another to unite in the supporting and maintaining their common rights, which cannot fail to recommend the state to the impartial world. At the same time, I am unhappy to inform you that, notwithstanding the generous and lenient measures with which the disaffected inhabitants in the lower part of Cumberland County have been indulged, yet they continue in their unjustifiable obstinacy against the authority of the state. I shall, however, recommend the suspension of the laws intended to have been executed on these offenders at present, in consequence of a letter received from His Excellency, John J. Esquire, President of Congress, enclosing certain acts passed by that honorable board related to a final settlement of all differences subsisting between this and the adjacent states, which I now submit to you for your consideration, a subject of the greatest importance and demands your most serious attention. Your agents to Congress have attended, grateful to their instructions from time to time. There are proceedings I shall now lay before you for your perusal and approbation, which I hope will, will prove satisfactory. From every circumstance, I think we have the highest reason to believe that from the efforts of our agents and the interposition of Congress, our unhappy disputes with the neighboring states will soon terminate in a final and happy issue. With respect to the present situation of the domestic affairs of state, it is with pleasure that I inform you that the measures pursued by the Board of War, by the assistance of divine providence, have proved effectually sufficient to defend our frontiers against the ravages of the common enemy. While they have been permitted to execute their hard horrid vengeance on many of the innocent inhabitants of the different parts of the continent, which in some measure proves the approbation of heaven to our independence and justifies the measures pursued to support and defend it. As the time for which the troops now in service are engaged expires the middle of November next, you will be careful to make such provisions for future defense as your wisdom shall direct. I shall from time to time during this during the session I'm going to try that again. I shall from time to time during the session digest and communicate to you such other matters as shall appear to me to require your attention in a full confidence that the same zeal to promote the common cause for which the inhabitants of the state have hitherto been distinguished will be equally conspicuous in your deliberations. Um, there are a few footnotes. Shall I read those, Olga? Um, why don't you? Because they pertain to, I think, the conflict that was going on between Vermont and New York at that time. And they're pretty strident. Um, <laughs> yes. So there's one, um, it's sort of, it's the second footnote and it's, um, refers to sort of the, um, the act that was, um, eventually, essentially sort of like repealed in the face of the pardon. The act specifically, especially referred to as that of June 1779, to prevent persons from exercising authority unless lawfully authorized by the state, which, though in general terms, was, of course, specially aimed against all persons who should attempt to act in the name and by the authority of New York. So the penalty for the first offense was a fine not exceeding 100 pounds, 
for the second, not exceeding 40 striped on the naked body. That's a whipping, folks. Yes. Yes. For the third, the right ear was to be nailed to a post and cut off, and the forehead was to be branded with the letter C, which might have meant been for contumacious, a word I have no idea what it means, with a hot iron. Right? Yeah, my eyes no popped out just a little bit on that okay. So that that is the speech of Thomas Chittenden. Thank you. I am going to read now his farewell speech, which is from 1797. And just for context, folks, when Emily read his inaugural speech, Thomas Chittenden served basically from 1779 to 1797 um, uh, to, until his death in 1797. And with the exception of one year where uh, a gentleman by, Mo, by the name of Moses Robinson stepped in, he, he was the governor that whole time, Thomas Chittenden was. And so when I'm reading this farewell speech, we are no longer the... Re- the Republic of Vermont, we are now the state of Vermont and part of the United States of America. So again, another big transition has happened. So we shall read that now. Executive speech of Thomas Chittenden, as it appears in the records of the governor and council of the state of Vermont, volume four, 1796, Tuesday, October 18th. Gentlemen of the Council and Assembly, you are so well-knowing to the manifold favors and blessings bestowed on us as a people by the great ruler of the universe, that it would be unnecessary for me to recapitulate them. I would therefore only observe that but a few years since we were without constitution, law, or government, in a state of anarchy and confusion, at war with a potent foreign power, opposed by a powerful neighboring state, discountenanced by the Congress, distressed by internal dissensions, all our landed property in in imminent danger, and without the means of defense. Now your eyes behold the happy day when we are in the full and uninterrupted enjoyment of a well-regulated government, suited to the situation and genius of the people, acknowledged by all the powers of the earth, supported by the Congress, at peace with our sister states, among ourselves, and all the world. From whence did these great blessings come? From God. Are they not worth enjoying? They surely are. Does it not become us as a people to improve them that we may have reason to hope that they may be continued to us and transmitted to posterity? It certainly does. What are the most likely measures to be taken by us as a people to obtain this great end? To be faithful, virtuous, industrious, and moral people. Does it not become us, as a legislature, to take every method in our power to encourage virtue, industry, morality, religion, and learning? I think it does. Is there any better method that can be taken by us to answer this purpose 
than by our own example, and having a sacred regard to virtue, industry, integrity, and morality in all our appointments of executive and judicial offices? This is the day we have appointed to nominate all our subordinate executive and judicial officer, officers through the state for the present year. The people by their free suffrages have given us the power and in us they have placed their confidence and to God, to them and our own consciousnesses, we are accountable. Suffer me, sir, as a leader, as a father, as a friend and a lover of this people and as one whose voice cannot be much longer heard here, to instruct you in all your appointments, to have regard to none, but those who maintain a good moral character, men of integrity, and distinguished for wisdom and abilities. In doing this, you will encourage virtue, which is the glory of a people, and discountenance and discourage vice and profaneness, which is a reproach to any people. And thus ends the speech. <laughs> so Emily, I heard some interesting themes there and, and some echoes, I think, but I, I would mm -hmm. love to hear from you because I think I've been sitting with these maybe a little bit longer than you have. And I'm, I'm curious what mm -hmm. your initial reaction is. Um, well, my very first initial reaction is I often think that political speeches today have a few too many words in them. Um, and it seems that we have a long history of that. So. <laughs> Although these were both shorter than I think the ones we, we tend to hear. They now. are shorter, but they also have a little bit less content. Um, so anyway, there was a little, you know, some, um, Excess pageantry, I would say, but I mm -hmm. do believe that's how it works. And whenever I complain about it to colleagues in the midst of politicaling, everyone says, you know, this is how it works. Why are you complaining about it? <laughs> so that's my. Um, so. It's sort of amazing to see the story unfolding in chaos and then the story sort of resolving itself and how quickly um we seem to have moved from pride and um, some rage and some retribution kind of feelings to absolute self-congratulation um, and resolve. And I think that was the piece that struck me the most. Um, mm hmm mm hmm is that it's been, it's all been resolved and it was because we are so wonderful. Yes. I, I had a similar feeling in that I, I appreciated how chaotic and <clears throat> scary a time these folks were li were living through. I mean, they were living through multiple wars essentially. And there is probably so for that i i forgive them some of their self-gradulatory backslapping because it probably did feel like a massive lift to found a republic found a government and then become part of a new country at the same time 
I think you and I are aware, looking back, in part because we had no skin in the game, all the pieces that are missing and all the people that are missing mm-hmm. from the story at this time. And that was just very, I was just very aware of that. Um, and I was very aware that this is a new colony. Uh, and, and when I was reading the initial inaugural speech, when they were, t- he was talking about enemies, mm. it was like, are you talking about the British? Are you talking about um, the indigenous communities? Are you talking about New York? Like, this this just general just enemies uh, mm-hmm. was just stuck out to me. The other thing that stuck out to me is it really felt to me that I could see the beginnings of Vermont exceptionalism just sort of sprinkled through here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at times when he he was talking about and and I think I heard it in things like oh, good character, moral character, blah, blah, blah. We have to be an example for others. You know, that Mm -hmm. all sounded like Vermont exceptionalism to me. Mm -hmm. And like you, I wanted there to be a little more content. Mm -hmm. Like, let's actually talk about what you achieved. Uh, In Mm -hmm. part because this is a historic record or a historical record. And like us, we're looking back at this. What what were some of the things you actually did? Mm-hmm. And there wasn't, it, it felt, well, kind of felt like a group of friends sitting around a campfire having a little chat. The other thing that struck me is in some of the ways Chittenton talked about being governor, it felt much more like an executive director talk uh, of a, of like a nonprofit organization talking to his board than, um, mm-hmm. a, a, uh, an individual leader, like a, a leader who's out. Tell me more about what you mean by that. Why yeah. do you say that? Why do I say that? Um, there was language in there, and I'm trying to think what, I'm trying to remember the specific language, but it sounded much more like, like I'm reporting to you. You know, throughout the year, I'm going to inform you of. Um, for you to make decisions, um, mm-hmm. where where when I hear governor modern governors speak, it's more like I'm going to do this, and I hope you agree with me. Like it it just felt a little bit more like he was deferring to the general assembly. Ah, yeah, more than just like I'm the governor and I'm the top dog of the state government. It didn't feel that way to quite the same extent. Mm-hmm. So that stood out to me as well. Mm-hmm. I hear that. I wondered if it was um, sort of a style of speech versus um, a reality of communication. Because um, my understanding is that the legislature has gotten weaker and weaker and has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger over time. Okay. Um, but it's possible that at the beginning, it was just like, you know, like 12 men that all knew each other and hung out drinking brandy together. So 
I, I think that things were. Yep. Yes. Mm hmm. <laughs> you know, you. Um, and, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, on future, on, sorry, on previous episodes, you and I have talked about how people organize themselves and that government is one of the way people organize themselves for you, this, this transition and this discussion in here, you know, talking about anarchy versus a well governed structure or a well-structured government, however you want to put it. What, how does that sit with you? Um, well, I definitely noted it. Um, I think that, you know, he is using anarchy there as um, sort of a description of lawlessness and, and war mongering and, you know, pinning people's ears to the post. Um, and, you know, a well-oiled government, you know, by white men, for white men, um, to be about sort of commerce and prosperity. And, you know, I think we're still, we're still rolling with that one mm -hmm. um, around here. I, what I'm not sure about, and I'm curious about is I don't know where the, um, the independent country of Vermont sort of fits into all of this. Right. You? This is, you know, it's, well, I think this was a perfect moment in and after august maybe we need to pull in a historian and ask some of these questions okay. because you know on the show we talk about digging into the stories mm -hmm. that that kind of build policy or that we tell about other people that type of thing and mm -hmm. to me both these speeches are just laden with stories but i was sitting with my own stories and you know i think the story i was handed down about the Republic of Vermont is that it was this massive independent movement and we were going to be as, be our own country and nobody could tell us what to do. And, you know, rah, 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 Vermont sort of thing. And yet when I was going through some of these early speeches, it didn't feel that way. It didn't feel, it, it felt like, and I don't know if this is true, but this is what it felt like to me when I was reading the speeches is it's like, well, we actually want to be a state, but we can't be right now because of all these other conflicts going on. So, you know, we'll, we'll do a Republic until we can become part of the United States is really what until it Congress like. will be on our side, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Until Congress hmm. will recognize us as our, as a sovereign state and tell New York to back off. And that to me is a very different story yeah. than what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, I, I understand why that's not clear to you in part, because I think it goes against the story that we, we have been told. Mm -hmm. I hear that. Mm -hmm. hmm. I, I wish we had a historian hanging out with us, Olga, because my Vermont history is, um, well, I have a bunch of books about it. I have not read them very thoroughly yet. Yes. Um, so I feel like I have a fairly good sense of Vermont tax history, um, <laughs> but not Vermont political history more broadly. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, the other thing, you know, you mentioned um, that first Tuesday in March. Um, is that real? Is that really why town meeting is that day? Well, I'm curious. I'm curious because uh, I don't know if while we're talking, I will see if I can um, pull up a calendar and see what day it was. But I, I think that's the first Tuesday in March. That's so fun. And um, it would, it would seem, cause that is such a tradition for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I always wondered why it was then. And I, I don't know. Wow. Oops. I can't talk and look at my phone at the no, same time. Sorry, folks. Well, we can, we can follow up with folks on that one on a later date. Yes, we can. And, um, I, something about general, general assembly. Oh, I am still very intrigued and I may do some more reading on this. So if I learn something, I'll bring it back to the listeners. I'm intrigued by this council of safety. Yes. I'm sorry. I wrote that down and didn't even say anything. Yes. Right. You go ahead. No, no, please. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No. Um, you know, the the sort of shadowing um, in that first speech about, you know, the anarchy and um, the violence. And we are sort of, you know, trying to wrest this state from the jaws of whatever and um, founding a council of safety. And just, you know, a, this is just sort of what what leaders and politicians have done Mm -hmm. for a very long time is, you know, govern from a place of um, fear, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so much to be afraid of. I'm not saying that like war and chaos and having your ear nailed to a tree is not something to be terrified of. Yeah, we're never going to get over that. Uh, (laughs) It's... It's just like, you know, even that word safety is something that we've spent a lot of time about how it means something so different to different people. Safety for who? Safety why? Safety at whose expense? Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All of that. And that, you know, even the governing body would be called the Council of Safeties. Yeah. And and that it it was a fairly small council. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm just going to give the names of the people who, according to the Vermont Historical Society, were on this, because mm-hmm. I think some of them might sound familiar. Thomas Chittenden, mm-hmm. Nathan Clark, Jonas and Joseph Fay, Moses Robinson, Ira and Heman Allen, and Matthew Lyon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think many of them have portraits in the State House. I know Matthew Lyon definitely does. And of course we know the, the Allen boys. Mm -hmm. What I found, what you were just saying about the council of safety, one that they even called it that. And, and it reminded me, it also made me think of Chittenton's references to things like morality and staying away profane, away from profaneness and good character. To me, those are also things that mean different things to different people. And so when I was reading those words a little bit, for me, it was like, well, by whose definition? 
you know, what's mm-hmm. morality by, by, by your definition, what is that Thomas Chittenden? Yeah. And uh, I have to say the, the term Freeman makes me very uncomfortable. Uh, and it's like, yeah, not true for everybody kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it was a very important distinction for them because they, they use it quite often, uh, which tells us a lot about that part of history as well. I do. Um, yeah. I really go back and forth with like interpreting history from the frame that I'm sitting with today. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the words that they used unexamined. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm very aware of the fact that we are, we are looking at them through our own lenses mm-hmm. and we are yeah. looking at that this speech through like, like we started this conversation, what we have inherited. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it struck me though, while I was reading these speeches, it gave me a new perspective on judging history in that one reason it's so easy to do is because we have no skin in that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we are living with the consequences of it, but it's not our decisions that were good or bad. It's mm-hmm. not our decisions that helped people or hurt people. So we can Monday morning quarterback the heck out of these things uh, because it's not our glass house we're living, you know, we're throwing stones at. Um, And yet there will come a time when people, this is what fascinates me is we are the future ancestors. People will look back at the decisions we made and be like, oh, that global warming solutions act. Can you believe they thought that's how you deal with um, climate change? Mm-hmm. You know, at yeah. that point, it was you. It was the best act that could be created at the time. Do but you think people are going to sample this podcast in a future podcast to talk about <gasps> history? Ooh, and what do you think? Do you think they'll be like, "Wow, they were so insightful," or do you think they'll be like, "Oh, I think yeah. definitely we will just be the heroes of the future." Olga, <laughs> I have no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> it's very good thing that we won't know that though. <laughs> um, I love the first sentence of the last paragraph here. Suffer me, sir, as a leader, as a father, as a friend, and a lover of this people. And as one whose voice cannot be much longer heard here. I'm glad you read that. Cause that I think is actually a line that was my favorite that I read and, and perhaps spurred a lot of my, my reasons for doing these next five. Mm-hmm. Cause that was a moment where I think I saw Thomas Chittenden mostly as a human being and mm-hmm. not just a political figure. Oh, that's so interesting. I saw it as like, wow, that's such a political technique that he's using that people, in order to make himself look more human, that people use all the time. I remember even when I went through Emerge, sort of the, you know, the training program for women in politics, um, we were really told to emphasize, like, you know, I'm here as a mother, as a, and I felt so uncomfortable about it. I still feel uncomfortable about it. Um, But I understand, like, you know, the point of it is like, you know, that is much more resonant and relatable to, you know, the majority of people than other things. So 
So the question is, was that a political tactic or because it worked, it became a political tactic? I think I think probably a little bit of each. <laughs> well, I am perfectly emotionally gullible enough to fall for it. So <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> so it worked, Thomas Jinton. <laughs> I appreciate that you're a human, dear Olga. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Mm -hmm. So what are some of your outstanding questions that we should maybe take note of and talk to a historian about? I think we should gather these as we go through these five, the next five Fridays. I want to understand um, how the independent country of Vermont fits into all of this. Mm -hmm. um, I want to know what the F this Council of Safety is and what power they had. Mm-hmm. Um, they they wrote the constitution. Yes, but like other than that, yes. <laughs> um, I want to know a little bit more about the relationships between all those people. Yeah. Um. And a little bit more about sort of what the powers of this new legislature were mm. um, compared to today. Mm-hmm. Those are my like top questions I'm walking away with. What about you? Um, definitely, I am. I have new curiosity in the Republic of Vermont and what that meant and how it fits in to mm -hmm. not just Vermont history but New England history and you know early early U.S. history and the Council of Safety. Um, yeah, that's that was a whole new thing for me. I'd never heard of that. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't realize. I, I knew our constitution had been written by, you know, a group of people, because mm -hmm. really that's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. But that it had this intent and this this intent to be an interim government um, was new to me. As far as relationships, I think, again, you know how we have talked about how Vermont is so relationship based? Mm -hmm. and and like you find your pl your plow guy through through your best friend's neighbor's mother <laughs> kind of thing um i do believe uh thomas chittenton when he moved to williston he bought the land that he built his house on from one of the allen brothers um mm. might have been ira but um so there you go there's there's mm -hmm. an early relationship right there um yeah, powers of the, how the legislature's powers have changed. I think that's a podcast in of itself. Mm -hmm. um, that sounds fun. Yeah, I, I think that would be its own show. Um, so yes, I, I'm on the same thing. And um, I think I would also ask if, if people had this information. I find it interesting that Thomas Chittenton served as long as he did through this transition and part of me feels okay I can see the consistency you know the the value in having a consistent leader through a transition time but I also wonder having the same person as governor um you know did that um calcify anything hmm. does that make sense yeah absolutely i think that's a big question for today mm -hmm. um 
I also, um, that reference to enemies, um, and it seemed like there are better enemies and worst enemies. I'd love someone with a little more context to dig that one up. Because as you said, I was wondering, you know, is it the British? Is it the uh, indigenous Americans? Is it like who? Is it people who, who just don't here? agree with us because we want to create a state yeah. and they want to be part of New York? Which would be all of those people, right? So yeah, very Yes. Okay. Well, I think that is really the time we have for today. Uh, it's I great because that's all I have to say today. Exactly, exactly. So I just want to thank everyone for showing up today. I want to thank Emily for being here. And I hope you stay with us for the next five fr uh, Fridays to hear more from our political ancestors. I also want to thank all the underwriters on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station for supporting this station and its work. I want to thank Brattleboro Community Television for sharing the um, our video version of our podcast with other stations around Vermont. And of course, I want to thank all our listeners for being here. Hey, Emily, where can people find more information if they're looking for you? Folks should remember that the views and opinions expressed here on the Montpelier Happy Hour are those of the host and the guests, respectively, and not the station. And folks can find me at emilykornheiser.org. Thank you. You can always find the Montpelier Happy Hour on Fridays at 2 p.m. on WVEW, as well as rebroadcast on Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m. You can find us wherever you subscribe to your podcast. And you can always, if you have your own questions about history and our governors, send us an email at the Montpelier Happy Hour at gmail.com. Have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs>